Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Hey, welcome in everyone to the Determined Truth Podcast. We have a uh, fun show tonight as we wrap up our four-week, well, I guess it was a three-week series on the Gospel of Mark, and now is it's the button, it's the the bonus, it's the, uh, what do they call it, Easter eggs in movies. We have a special guest, and Rob, I'm going to let you introduce them because you guys are BFFs or something. Yeah, basically, right? Yeah. If, oh, yeah. If he'll, yeah. If he'll claim that. So yeah, we were pleased to have Dr. Jace Broadhurst on today. Jace is an Old Testament scholar, a PhD from Westminster Seminary, and he's a father of three boys that are fantastic young boys. He's been in pastoral ministry for 15 years, done some academic work overseas in Africa as well. And so, Jace, uh, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be yeah. here. Appreciate it. Uh, tell us some more about yourself, Jace, and what's, ha- what's been going on with you. Oh, you've, you've said the most important things. I got a few boys. I'm a pastor, 15 years as a senior pastor, another 10 or dozen so for as a single adults pastor. My work is done. My PhD was done in the Old Testament, Hebrew Bible, uh, the much cooler Testament than, you know, that little tiny appendix that you keep working on. Yeah, I think that's really all that needs to be said about me. I'm, you know, I like late night walks on on the ocean, you know, near the ocean, not on, on the ocean. ocean. Now he thinks he's Jesus. Jesus yeah. does some of that. We'll talk about that today, actually. Yeah. yeah good he's one. really growing in the likeness of Christ. He's even doing that. Yeah. <laughs> that's some sanctification. Yeah. Yep. That's me. Great. Great. Well, we've been discussing the gospel of Mark to go along with a devotional guide that we're providing. And some of you are listening to just the podcast. Some of you are doing the devotional study as well. And we talked about at the very end of our last episode that the prominence of the sea and the demonic realm and Jesus casting out the demons and legion and going into the pigs that run into the sea, as well as the fact that one of the key themes in the gospel of Mark is who is Jesus. And the disciples are like, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. And, and the Pharisees and scribes are trying to figure it out and go, oh, let's kill him. Um, but from the very beginning of the story, the demons know, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. So there's this great conflict. And so in Mark 3, Jesus says, I had to go into the to the, basically the devil's house and, and bind the strong man so that I can, I can release you all. There's this conflict that's undergirding the gospel of Mark and the story of the gospel of Mark. And really to unpack that, it will help a lot. And we brought Jason to do this for us, to understand the ultimate context of what's happening, the significance of the sea. As we mentioned in our last podcast, the Sea of Galilee is not a sea. If you've ever been there, it's a lake and there's nothing about it besides it's a lake. And it's not even a very big lake. It's just a good sized lake. But the reason why it's called the Sea of Galilee, which the very first time it's ever called the sea is in the Gospel of Mark, uh, is because it has this, the connotations and the, Im- the imagery of the Old Testament that kind of comes to come to life. So, so Jace, kind of with that as a starting point, kind of help us understand what we need to know far back as you want, Genesis, et cetera, to kind of help fill in the gaps and bring us up to speed so that we can understand what's happening in this struggle with the demons and the sea the stories. Okay. So let's, uh, let me, can I kind of, you, you did a good job in summarizing a little bit of Mark. Let me see if I can do that because you're the expert in Mark or apocalyptic literature in general, Juvenile literature and everything New Testament. You're just awesome. Um, so all my questions, I come to you for that. Yeah. But Mark is doing some really cool. Well, maybe all the gospel writers are doing some pretty cool things in these, like these theological biographies. So they're introducing Jesus as this guy on the margins, like this wilderness prophet, someone who's tempted to follow his own path, someone who is who's introducing this new kingdom, someone who is basically coming to say, hey, I'm the new king, or to show I'm the new king. There's, there's something new that's happening. And the question that Mark or each one of the authors is doing is they're going to say, how is he going to show himself as the king? And so Mark's distinctive flavor is this euthus, right? This immediately, like everything's short, everything's quick. It's like, okay, here's the next story. Here's the next story. And he begins like with this, he gives us the name, Jesus. He gives us the title, king, and he gives us the class, son of God or divine being, or maybe it's another term for Jesus as Israel, son of God Mm -hmm. in the Old Testament, the New Testament. And maybe we'll get into some of that. So then in the book, John the Baptist introduces uh, him as the new king, as the divine son. 
this new Israel is baptized by John the Baptist into solidarity with the old Israel. So now you got the new Israel and the old Israel have been are the same. Like Jesus is the new Israel. That's what Mark's trying to get across. That's what all of them are trying to get across. And he goes into the sea. Paul talks about all that. We won't get into all the details of that. And then he's in the wilderness, tempted, like Israel is tempted, mm-hmm. starts calling the 12, like Israel, all these things I, I'm, I know that you've talked about. In we actually haven't talked about them on this podcast, because we're going to discuss that theme, And those, but you're doing a great job when we get to the Gospel of Matthew, because that story okay. is even more prominent in Matthew's Gospel. And what Jace is getting at, if you're just kind of following in, is, is the story of Jesus, especially as told by Matthew, but Mark's doing it too, and Matthew's actually borrowing from Mark anyways, is is following the story of Israel. So, you know, they start up in the north and they come down to Gal- they come down to Bethlehem and that's where he's born. They go off into Egypt and they come back from Egypt and they're baptized in the sea and then they uh, go off into the wilderness and he is tempted by the devil. And, and this story of Jesus is the story of of Genesis and Exodus in, in in many ways. So, yeah. Right. And then all of a sudden, like so from there then he's like he's on attack almost. So, Jesus the divine warrior comes, which is Kind of introducing us to where we're going to be getting you know he drives out spirits he's healing lepers he's healing a paralytic he's plundering you just said satan's strong man's house he's putting together apostles pulling it happened several times in mark right new group so we can get his 12 he uh, uh mark 4 he's rebuking the sea we'll definitely talk about that we'll bring that around to okay. the end demon possessed people are being healed dead people rise from the dead all that stuff is happening this is all this you get the idea right that mm-hmm. you're your uh, listeners, I'm sure, understand like this is a like an attack on these, on chaos, on these mm-hmm. forces of darkness that are out there. And Mark is trying to show you this new kingdom, this new kingdom of priests, Israel. Jesus as the representative, as the head of all of this, has the power. He's going to succeed where the old Israel has failed. That that's where they're going to get to. And how does Mark want to show you that he has the power and that he's going to succeed? He's beating up on these forces of chaos. So that's the theme that we're kind of looking at this, this chaos or these monsters and stuff. And that's all your world. That's the new Testament world. So you've, I I can't wait to hear the Matthew one when you talk about that. Okay. But it's so much cooler if you start in the old Testament or start in the ancient near East, actually, not just the old Testament. Hey, can we do this real quick? Because I, I'm actually thinking back to the, you know, last however many months of shows that we've done, Rob, and I don't know if we've ever actually defined the term ancient Near East for okay. our listeners, especially, yeah. you know, lay people who they don't, they don't hang out in the scholarly world. So Jay's, could you define just what you mean by that? Yeah. So when I say ancient Near East, we'd have to go back another 500 to a thousand years before that cool New Testament world that uh, Dr. Dalrymple knows so much about, and I'm guessing you know so much about. So go back to, go back to 2,500 2, years before or we, before us, right? That's the ancient Near Eastern world. And so ancient, of course, is old. And the Near East is that Southern Levant, the Mesopotamian Valley, the, the Fertile Crescent, as we learned in our history classes. It's that whole that whole world there. I mean, it, it might stretch as far as Persia, you know, Asia Minor or Europe, above the Mediterranean Sea, Egypt. That, that whole area is what we're talking about in biblical studies. And we're talking about 2,500 years ago. So that's pretty ancient. Or maybe 3,500 or four or 5,000 years ago, long before even the Bible is written or the act or the things that took place in the Bible are taking place. So what I want to get us to is this, like, even if we just go back 100 years ago from now, this little northern Syrian port town called Ras Shamra. This is a good party thing. If you're at a party, mm-hmm. people who are listening... If you want to talk about cool things, people are always interested in talking about Ross Shamra. Okay, no one cares yeah, about yeah. this. Vinny and I were just chatting about that just the other day. And yeah, we Tony and I were that. talking about yeah. that over dinner. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I use it to get dates. And it works. <laughs> no, it doesn't work at all. Um, okay. So it, it used to be called Ugarit. So we have this whole language called Ugaritic that comes from this, a cuneiform thing. But here's why it's, why it's important. About 100 years ago, they discovered this ancient bronze, the Bronze Age Canaanite city that is there and it included this large palace and a couple of uh, temples and so many clay tablets that we don't know what to do with them. And mm. on these clay tablets found in the chief priest's quarters, we have so many great stories that we didn't know about more than a hundred years ago. Mm. And it's here that we get introduced to 
the gods like El and Atherat and Baal. That's how Baal, Baal, Baal uh, yeah, An- okay. Anat, Shafash, Kotharvakasis, all these different gods that we don't know anything about. They're, most of them aren't mentioned in the Bible, except for that Baal guy that we know. And a couple of Chthonic deities named Yam and Mot. All right, so what's a Chthonic deity? Okay, so a Chthonic deity is just what, like, um, we pretentious people, we just have to have cool names for stuff. So Chthonic just means death. Okay. These death deities. And or monsters, Psalms actually call these like chaos monsters, mm. sea monsters that are going to come up. Uh, in German, we call it chaos kampf. There's just a battle between or theomachy, a battle between the gods, the good gods and the bad gods. So, and and there's a lot of gods, right? So we talk about we talk about well monotheism. The Bible's filled with monotheism, but it's not really. It's probably more monolatrist or henotheistic. So that is, there's lots of gods, but only one. We only worship worship, one. Yeah. Right. Or one is like really a god and the others are gods. Right. So, but they're all in the divine world. And we call this the divine council motif. And you see it in Job when the Satan comes up and and hangs out with God and argues about, you know, whether Job is a good person or a bad person. You see it in Genesis 126, let us Mm -hmm. make man in our image. And there's tons more, um, Micaiah and Kings. You know, the prophet uh, has somebody in divine council comes down. Isaiah goes into the divine council room and the, touches his coal, coal on his lips and all that stuff. So super exciting content. I know you guys are thrilled so far, right? As yeah, you yeah. left your New Testament world. Vinny's probably watching the basketball game on his TV. Um, uh, it's halftime right now, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So most, most of these gods are fertility gods or death gods or something like that, the Catholic deities and they're all over the place in the ancient Near East. So you've got you got Galu is one and he shows up in the Nanka myths. You've got Ahazu, Lamashtu. Lamashtu is like the Lilith. You've seen that in some of the pseudographical books, but Lamashtu has got these claws and he like steals children. So many of these demon things, creatures, ghosts, shades, all these things. They end up stealing, I don't know what, what in the world that they had back then, but everyone's always stealing infants. They just come, they claw these babies and take them away. Reshef and the beer are like these pestilence gods, demons that, that are attacking Hazazu. Uh, so these are all in that world that they live in. They're all thinking about these demons. Demons is the best word I'd come up with right now, but these gods that have been... Um, you know, that, that they would have worshipped at that time. So there's like this Deuteronomy idea that God has put certain gods in charge of certain nations. After the Tower of Babel, he's kind of separated people into their different groups and different gods are over these ones and they will worship those. And these gods, unfortunately, are accepting that worship that was only for Yahweh. Is uh, this like the, the Prince of Persia theme in Daniel, for example? I was actually literally just thinking about that. Yeah, but of course, this is a thousand years later, like Daniel. Okay. Well, I don't know what you're dating of Daniel. Yeah, right. I'm, okay, that's a, I'm yeah. assuming it's Second Temple. Yes, it so, is. Yeah. But yes, the same, right? There's a progression of angelology or of mm-hmm. our understanding of the sons of God as time goes by. So like in the Old Testament, there really is no character like Satan, mm-hmm. like, you know, this right. arch miscreant. As a personal the, being, right. Right. But by the New Testament, we come into that. So there's there's a right. progression of thinking, progression of revelation there. That's all the ancient Near Eastern gods. I just mentioned a whole bunch just for fun. Mm-hmm. I'm sure nobody's writing these down because no one cares. Because you want to get to the good. They're stuff. pausing the podcast so they can go back and keep playing it back and forth. And right, I know how much they care about, it. and they're like trying to keep track. Is Jason? He's lying. He's not. Just go ahead and look this. But it's but, but actually, in- but before you go to the next point, just yeah. to to make you know the point clear, living in the ancient Near East, you know wherever you're at, you're, you might have your flavor, your emphasis, but there's an idea that these are the types of beings that exist in the world. Right. And this, this is as common as being in America and in, in teaching that, you know, there's Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. It's, 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 it's just part of the folklore, if you will, whether it's real or not. It's part of the ethos of that age. Yeah. And that, wouldn't that, it be more than that, though? Wouldn't it be because these deities actually control the well-being of society, right? of welfare? I mean, they cause the rain and the harvest, and we have to honor and worship them or we're in trouble. We're not saying that every person in the ancient Near East believed in all of these creatures necessarily, these gods, but some of them most certainly did, would have prayed to them, would have set sacrifices out for them, done all these things. So yeah, they 
they're part of their life. Right. In a pre-modern world, this is the way you make sense of nature and how things are revealed and whatnot. So it just, it makes sense in their worldview. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, those ancient Near East weirdos, but then the Christians or the Jewish people, not Jewish at this point, but Hebrews, they believe something different. They had the same worldview as everybody else did pretty much. Mm -hmm. So they have all of these shades, ghosts, demons, these underworld creatures like Sha'al, we call Sheol, right? That's Mm -hmm. a that's an ancient monster, one of these death deities, for instance. Rabisu is a demon in Genesis, the croucher, the one that sits by the by the door. Cain, if you do what is right, then you'll be okay. If you don't, this croucher is going to get like those those things are out there. Azazel is a very famous one that the scapegoat is you know pushed into the wilderness, and Azazel, the demon, got, grabs hold of this scapegoat. In fact, I think in the pseudepigrapha uh, in the Testament of Abraham. Specifically, he's a dragon or a serpent, which is interesting since that's, again, where we're headed. This is all intro stuff to get where we're headed, right? Proverbs 30 has um, like a vampire demon. Uh, Laku is in there. You think Habakkuk 3.5 uh, is Reshef and Deber follow Yahweh along with him. Um, before him, the, the quote is, I have it here, before him goes pestilence and a burning flame goes forth at his feet. So there's pestilence and burning flames are demons in the ancient Near East. The seraphim are these fiery serpent things that end up in numbers fighting and, and doing all kinds of terrible things. Fiery, Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many in Israel died. Maybe even Genesis 3, the Nahash there is one of those seraphim creatures. The word Nahash is the word for serpent, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're just... All those ones that I just listed are possibilities that where demon or these other kind of warrior bad gods attack. So would you say then that when you open up Mark and you see that the conflict is really between Jesus and the demonic realm, right? One of the things I usually say is, hey, the enemy is not Rome. Sorry about that, guys. But the enemy is, of course, the the demonic realm. That that was just the culture that they had adopted for the last couple thousand years, or potentially as much as two thousand years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and that's where we get into these chthonic deities, mm-hmm. right? Because these demons are chthonic deities; they're chaos monsters. They're they're ones that are there to disrupt in Egypt what we call maat, right? Order, mm-hmm. what's all supposed to be there. So, there are two specific gods in the ancient Near East that. Even though I've named a whole bunch of other ones, these are ones that we've really got to grasp before we get into Mark okay. or into the New Testament at all. One of them is, has the name Yom, and one mm-hmm. of them has the name Mot. And we mentioned these before. So Mot is the ultimate chthonic deity, death deity, if people remember. Mm-hmm. So his name, like Mot, Mavet, is, is the name death. That's in Hebrew, that's how we say death. Mm-hmm. So he appears in the netherworld, in Sheol. Um, he lives in a city of called Hamri, which is like this place of darkness and distress. And um, sometimes it's translated the pit. So, and mm. he references to that in the New Testament too, this place, the pit or the, uh, like a, a hole or something mm. like that. And he's pictured as this God with this tremendous gullet mouth, this throat that just comes up and eats people. I always think mm. of um, the movie Tremors with Kevin Bacon. At least he, I think he was in the first one, but he didn't come back for any of the other 19. But right, the, you just, it just comes up and just eats them right at, So anyway, and the same thing happens in the sea. So that's the other word, Yam. Yam, yeah. Yam is the god of the sea, and that's the Hebrew word. So anytime you see the word sea in Hebrew, that's what it's going to be. Or yeah, Y-A-M. Yeah, Y-A-M, or yeah. sometimes you'll see it with two M's. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on where you're where you're looking for it. But and sometimes he's the god of the rivers, although technically that should be Nahar, right? That's the the other one. But sometimes Yam is the god of all these. And anyway, these are gods that always oppose the good god, mm. whose name is Baal. That's mm. how it's Baal, right? This, mm-hmm. So there, and you know Baal. Everyone knows Baal. Everyone's right. read the Bible, knows any stuff about Baal. So he's He's um, part of this Ugaritic pantheon, and he's a good god, not a bad god in the Ugaritic pantheon. He's the hero god. He is uh, the one who brings fertility. 
So rain comes, you pray to Baal because rain and lightning and things like that, he's in control of all those things. He's fertility. And Yom is one of the sons of El. So in this pantheon, El is at the top. And we've got some other ones out there. And I'm, I'm giving a generalization because some of the Ugaritic myths, he's not the son of, he's something else. And so there's, there's, a, there's a little bit of uh, variance here, but big picture, you see that Baal, son, Baal Hadad is this son of Dagon or son of El, and they are constantly getting in battles. That's, that's the big thing that we've got to take here. So Yom builds his palace in the abyss or the depths or the Tehom. And you'll remember that word Tehom is in Genesis 1-2, yeah, right. right? So that's the abyss or the depths, the flood, the over the face of the waters. Face of the deep, yeah. Yep, all that stuff. So you might say that Yom is the god of primordial chaos. He's the god of Tohu Vabohu from Genesis 1-2. Formless and void is how our King James reminds us, but empty and uninhabitable, right? that, that kind of idea. And the gods cast him out of Safan or the north, and, and we don't need to know all that, but he's basically, his job is to call, cause problems for seafarers everywhere. Okay, which is, remember, you're talking about the Sea of Galilee, right, as we started mm -hmm. all of this off. And he's often pictured as some sort of a dragon, Lotan. We see him in Job as Leviathan. Mm -hmm. So he's a seven-headed dragon, mm -hmm. monster. And that, that's who we're talking about here. So he's this Canaanite deity. He's connected to Moat as a deity of chaos and underworld. Both are enemies of Baal as are like the gods Reshef and Dagon and any of the netherworld gods, Sahat and Bor and Tehom, Tiamat, who fights Marduk. Mm -hmm. And I know that we're just, we're just naming a whole bunch of things, but maybe just the inundation of information, you get the big picture idea that these are two ancient Near Eastern death gods that are constantly in battle with life. And maybe for fertility reasons, like, uh, you know, during the harvest, or I mean, sorry, during the uh, springtime, Baal comes up and Yom or Moat goes down. And then during wintertime, the other one takes over. Remember, these are gods of the harvest, mm -hmm. gods of fertility. So, and they do battle. They're constantly fighting. So anybody want to summarize where we're at right now? Or do you want me to just try to pull all of this? Or do you feel like we've summarized enough? We yeah, enough? we have this ancient world motif that exists. It's very prevalent of the gods uh, that are controlling death and fertility and life and the war and battle and conflict between them. And they're very prevalent and that some of the Old Testament stories that we know of resonate with them. That, that's what they're building on. So the Leviathan in the book of Job, etc. And obviously the book of Revelation, the seventh and the dragon has this origin in this motif and these themes. That's good. Yeah. Okay. You'll have these, these gods will be, they'll, they'll go into battle because uh, one is disrupting nature. One is doing these terrible things and the other one has to come and save them. And they'll, they'll hear them from across the sea or from their palace over the sea or wherever they're at, usually before they have a palace, because it's only after you're in the battle that you get the palace. Mm. And because you're the conqueror, you get to build mm -hmm. a temple. And so everybody comes to worship you because you're the conqueror. So like Marduk will come and attack Tiamat or Baal will come and attack Moat or Yom and destroy him and split Yom into, you know, upper and lower. And so how is this relevant to us? Like we're, we're getting to the Mark passage here, but I want to I want to play with Psalm 18 just to give us a little bit of an idea. So the people in the New Testament are living in this in this perpetual state of death or exile is the way that they're understand. They've never made it back to the land. Even though they went back to the land, they don't feel like they've ever gotten what they were looking at, right? This is Haggai. This is not, what is this? We built the temple and everything, but it's not what we were hoping it was. And that's the whole problem with these post-exilic prophets is that the glory doesn't seem to return. And so we're still living in this death exile. And so these Catholic deities are still all around and Jesus is in the wilderness and he's he's heading for the promised land and he's taking people towards the promised land. He's in exile, but he's leading the people out. That's kind of the idea. But Psalm 18 gives us a, a like 
kind of an overview of all the stuff that I've said. So a way to summarize it with one text. So I'm, we could have just read Psalm 18 and it would have been fine. Yeah, but then I wouldn't have had any fun. Yeah. So, okay. So when I edit the podcast, we'll start here. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm not even going to listen because you just. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Cry. Go ahead. I'm going to cry. I'm just going to read a little bit. And I think I'm, I wrote this down from the NIV. So there's nothing special here. Okay. The cords of death entangled the, me. You're in verse four. Is that right? That's right. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. Okay, even just in chapter in verses four and five, we're already seeing the cords of the grave, which is Sheol, that's that word there, and the snares of death, that's moat, are coming up. So David is envisioning his battle. He's kind of giving this imagery of him fighting against the chaos gods, Sheol and Moat. And these gods are chaos monsters that have attacked Yahweh and his soldiers throughout the entire Bible. Isaiah is filled with it. Okay, just that's just mm-hmm. for though. Just go keep going. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. So this is interesting to me because Yahweh is hearing them from his temple. Mm. I just said, you know, gods don't generally have temples until they've done the defeating. So as somebody's reading this particular passage, there they should have their ears perk up at this. Like, all right, but Yahweh's already hearing from his temple like he's already the conquering god but he hasn't conquered yet mm. so he anyway he hears it you know so when when Baal or marduk here they come flying across the sea to attack whoever the bad guy is and they're riding on the wings of the storm or the, the angels are carrying them these chariots or something like that and it's and and so they're flying across and they defeat the forces of chaos and then they get their temple but yahweh already has his temple and he's already victorious, even though he hasn't fought the battle yet. So, and he doesn't have to ask anyone permission to build the temple because his temple already exists. So there's all these little mm. things that are like making little jabs at the ancient Near Eastern gods mm. or the gods that their friends, the, mm-hmm. the people around them are worshiping. And then the battle starts. So the earth trembled and quaked and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth, burning coals blazed out of it. I love this language. This is Yahweh we're talking about. Mm. Like he's like a fire-breathing dragon. His nostrils mm. are getting all red, and he's blood, blood, consuming fire out of his mouth. He parts the heavens and comes down, dark clouds under his feet. He mounts the cherubim, just like Baal and Marduk do. They get on the cherubim, and they fly. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Um, I think this is a song, Oh, Worship the King. Do you remember that from when you were little? Uh, Not in my Baptist church. Oh, man. that was I was a Baptist, too, man. And we sang this all the time. Not a Southern Baptist, were you? I was a Southern Baptist. Okay, well, different kind then. I guess so. Yeah, you're like a Southern Southern Baptist. I really saw. Okay. He made darkness is covering his canopy around him, dark rain clouds of of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning, which are just like arrows. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy with great bolts of lightning. He routed them. The valleys of the sea, this is important, were exposed. Mm-hmm. And the foundations of the earth, Aretz, laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils. Mm-hmm. It's like, she's just fire breathing. I'm at your rebuke. Oh, sorry. Yeah, at the blast of breath from your nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. Would, would you say that something like what we just read here in Psalm 18, and you read verses 4 through 16, could be found on some of these clay tablets that were actually uh, applying to some other god? And it was, yeah. They've been so appropriated here by the psalmist that, but an ancient person would go, that's the same thing I read over there in that other temple. Yeah. Or something similar. Yep. Yeah. Now, I don't know if this was... I don't think Psalm 18 was actually another, like we don't have this one, but there are some Psalms that quite literally are written to it. You can even tell from the cadence of the Hebrew language Mm. that when the word Yahweh is put in there, that it doesn't fit anymore. Mm. They've actually taken another word out and thrown in Yahweh. Interesting. But yeah, this this would apply to Baal or Marduk or Mm -hmm. any of the good fertility gods that come and and destroy it. They do all the same things. So they would they would know what's going on. 
as they're reading this. Well, so is is this similar to like a Genesis one in the creation account? Is that the reason why the light in the sky for the day and, and night, they're not naming them because they're actually poking fun at the Egyptian deity. So they're not actually going to name them. It's going to be like, eh, you know, all the things that we're naming that are part of creation, you know, the things that the Egyptians worshiped for 450 years. Yeah. The, the covenantal God who would just worship you, he actually made those things. Yeah, the greater <laughs> light and the lesser light. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is the same type of thing happening here where the original audience would have like they just would have picked up on all this stuff and it's it's almost like an inside joke but where to us we just we have no clue because we don't understand that world i think i think that's exactly it yep yeah genesis one is just this polemic against all the egyptian or ancient near eastern gods so shemesh for instance yes isn't even named or sun so and i love that i think i think that is the main point so i think mm -hmm. you got it exactly okay. verse 15 is is really a key thing for when we get to mark so i want to kind of throw it out there right now that's that at your rebuke lord at the blast mm. of breath from your nostrils mm. the hebrew for that word rebuke is ga'ar okay which is not relevant to anybody who cares about that kind of stuff but it's going to become relevant when we start getting into your world which is what this podcast is all about in mm -hmm. the actual book of mark so what we have here is the fight scene right the earth trembling and quaking whenever god comes you know the earth trembles the mountains shake all that stuff happens. He's throwing lightnings. This is God. This is Theomachy, right? Mm -hmm. This is God's fighting gods. And of course, Yahweh is going to win, as he always does. And he's going to do it by rebuking or by blasting. Hey, Rob, anything coming up for you that you want to let our friends know about? Yeah, we'll be getting some more information out to you soon. But on February 11th, I'll be participating in a Zoom conference uh, from Evangelicals for Justice. Uh, we'll be doing a session on Friday the 11th, and I'll be presenting on having hard conversations in the church is the title. And my particular section will be having hard conversations in the church on Israel-Palestine. And I know we'll have a couple other presenters, and they'll be doing having hard conversations on the, in the church on other topics that you may or may not agree with. But how do we have these hard conversations? So. We'll get some information on how to sign up and how to get involved with that uh, as soon as we have it. Awesome. Make sure to check out uh, Rob's Facebook page, as I'm sure he'll upload that information and uh, try to check out that event. I, I feel like it's, it would be really important to just like, if I can go for like three minutes and just like list a bunch of these verses that I wrote mm -hmm. down, because when you get to Mark, it just, it makes it pop in ways that you haven't seen. So if you're okay with me doing that, I will. Okay. Um, we can always, going. We can always delete it at the end of the day. So there you go. I'm starting now. There you go. He's got a timer going. <laughs> all right. Nahum 1.4 says he rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all mm -hmm. the rivers run dry. Again, Ga'ar, he rebukes or he blasts, he fire breathes the sea and it dries up. Um, Psalm 29 is exactly what you were talking about. Uh, both of you were talking about. That's one of those texts that we know is probably a Canaanite hymn, but that Yahweh's name gets put in there. The voice of Yahweh of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. Mm. So again, right? He's over the waters. Psalm 74 has the word Leviathan in it. It was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monsters in the water. Oh, sorry, heads of the monster in the waters. Notice heads, mm. plural, of the monster. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave him his food to the creatures of the desert. It was you who opened up springs and streams. You dried up the ever-flowing rivers. So again, the waters are dried up by his rebuke as he's attacking the Leviathan, this monster. Isaiah 27, in that day, the Lord will punish with his sword his fierce, great and powerful sword, Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent. He will slay the monster of the sea. So again, the sea monster is being attacked. Who's it's also named Rahab, right? Yeah, Rahab is um, yeah. is the Egyptian. Yeah, mm. so that too, I think, or maybe, yeah. But when he splits the sea, Rahab, it's it's an Egyptian attack. He's attacking mm. Rahab or this chaos monster. Yeah, and this exactly. is the parting of the Red Sea then when the Israelites go through. Right, which is just a constant motif, right? So God splits the sea monster in Genesis chapter 1. Mm. That's, that's all we have in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. And he splits it in two different directions. So there's mm -hmm. sea or tohu babohu or the abyss, everything. 
and he will pull the water. This is day two. He pulls the water from, uh, you know, horizontally. Above and below. Okay. Vertically. Yeah. Above and below. Right. And that's the ripping of the sea monster in two. And then he'll rip it side to side as well so that land will appear. Mm. So there's all these little subtle attacks, maybe. Mm -hmm. For sure, it's been demythologized. Right. right? It's not obvious. And so scholars will say, if it's there, it's just there from so far. It was so long ago and it no longer has a whole lot of relevance. But I think they're playing. Mm-hmm. I think they're playing with this, considering all these verses that I'm saying right now. So Psalm 104 is about him making the clouds his chariot. Mm-hmm. He lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. The winds are his messengers, flames of fire his servants, sets the earth on its foundations not to be moved. He covers it with deep, covers it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, Ga'ar, the waters fled. That, that, that passage is all quoted in the book of Hebrews, right? That's in Hebrews 1. Uh, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think, okay. yeah. You know that better than me, so yeah, I'll okay. believe you. You're, you're the scholar on that. It is. <laughs> some, some of it, obviously. Yeah, so okay. they, so they, you know, the, the, the waters flee away. They take flight. They flow over the mountains. They went down to the valleys to the place that you assigned for them. So again, God is mm. directing the waters with what they must do. Psalm uh, Proverbs 8, when he gave the sea its boundaries so the waters could not overstep his commands, where he gives Yom, he says, here's where you have to go, Yom, that's it. Job 38 also talks about this Yom, who shut up the Yom, or the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb. When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this is how far you must come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Job 7, am I the sea or the monster of the deep that you put me under guard? The sea, Yom, mm-hmm. the monster of the deep. So so if I can, what we have here then, what we read this as modern Americans, whatever, not knowing any of this background, we think, okay, this is a good poetic language to say that God is totally sovereign and in control of all things and puts boundaries on where the seas go. Yep. But in the ancient Near Eastern world, they're going, yeah, but that's actually God having sovereignty over the other gods, over the deities and these other beings out there that he's defeating them and ripping them apart so he can create, et cetera. Yeah. 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 He's doing battle against all of these gods. Right. And so Job nine is he stretched out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Mm. So when we get to Mark six, that right, might become exactly. very relevant. And Psalm 77 is the last one I wanted to do, which is the water saw you, O God, the water saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed, again, you know, over the depths of, over the sea. Mm-hmm. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. So again, he's walking. Through. So all of these things show God is putting his throne or his his gates or walking over in some way, he's showing that he is in charge mm. of this monster that is always seeking to attack, always going beyond its borders. Mm. And he says, this is as far as you can go. So you can imagine, right? If there's a tsunami or uh, a storm on the sea of Galilee or something like that, what they're thinking mm-hmm. when these things happen. So now we can get to Mark. Mm-hmm. Is what you asked me to talk about. Right, right. I haven't talked about it at all yet. So now we back up to Mark, or we go forward to Mark, and we have this this wilderness setting, right? So it's again, you're supposed to see Mark and Matthew as this Old Testament wilderness before the conquest, preparation for battle. Jesus is going to succeed in the face of temptation, where Israel did not succeed in the face of temptation. He's going to choose the twelve. So that he's got his tribes. Israel is set up there in fighting pattern. The disciples are supposed to be warriors that are going to go out and do battle, just like Yahweh goes out and does battle. And then there's these, you know, then the divine warrior, you see him walking over the hill. This is my picture because I see everything in movie language, right? This wind, wind, and you can hear the music in the background. And he's walking and the wind is going through his hair. And he's, you know, just, just attacked. Like all these things are coming at him. And he's nailing, right? So the demons are attacking, drive out, an, heal, uh, drive out an evil spirit. Here's somebody who needs to be healed. So he heals the leper, heals the paralytic. Another demon-possessed man, demon man gets exercised. Here's the dead person. We'll raise him from the dead. 
strong man needs to be bound. He'll tell the story about finding the strong man so that he can plunder his house. Mark is trying to show you that this new kingdom of priests, this new Israel, Jesus and his, his posse, they have the power. Jesus is this Israel of one. Everything Israel is supposed to be is now funneled into this one person, Jesus. He's going to succeed where Israel has failed. He's going to model, he's going to model faith and power. And he's going to do that by beating up on the forces of chaos, which is what I started all this. So if you want to just edit out the last, what, 93 minutes that we've been talking just to get rid of all that stuff and put a start right here, that's fine. So everyone who's listening, he's editing. Welcome to our show. As we begin, <laughs> welcome to the German Truth Podcast. Let's, oh, today we have a special guest. It's Jace Broders. And uh, <laughs> there we go. Okay, you can start now, Jace. So. I'm, I'm still going to cry when that happens. But all right. Yep. Okay. I'm going to edit it just that way, and I'm going to send it to him, Jenny. <laughs> hey, Jace, here's what's going on the web tomorrow night. So what? It's like five minutes long. <laughs> Best I'll, podcast I, ever. Yeah. <laughs> I will still put that out on my Facebook. <laughs> yeah. I was on the podcast. Anyways, okay, here we go. So, and in between all of this that's happening, all that stuff, buying the straw man, driving out all these spirits, are these two passages where he attacks nature, or rather maybe... Nature attacks him and he deals with it. But it's not just nature. So I would say this divine warrior motif, he fights against death and disease and demons. And you could add a fourth one as nature, but really that's the same thing, right? All of these are chthonic forces that he is trying to put to rest. He is trying to get rid of. So the new Israel in, for instance, Mark 4, right? which is, you know, he's laying asleep on a cushion and or I don't know if he's in a cushion or not in Mark or Matthew, I don't know, it doesn't matter, but he's, he's, he's asleep. And, and what happens is his people, his disciples recognize the power of the monster, just like Psalm 18 that we read. They recognize the, the cords of death are bringing me down. The yam is attacking me. They're recognizing it because the Sea of Galilee is all over them. And it's threatening to destroy their boats. Um, and the new Israel, again, the disciples there, the 12 tribes are there on the boat. And they recognize that they need to call for help, just like Psalm 18 does. David calls out and Yahweh hears from his temple, like we read. So, and here is this Jesus sleeping in them. He's being called. Do you not care if we drown? You know, they're calling out to him. Yeah, go ahead. Let's read the passage, actually, just so we have, so in case someone's listening, they don't have the context. I, I have it if you want. Okay, go for it. All right, so, so on that day, evening came, and he said to the disciples, let's go to the other side. I'm in Mark 4, verse 35. Verse 36, leaving the crowd, they went in the boat. Verse 37, there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much so that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He got up and he rebuked the wind. I think we'll talk about that. <laughs> uh, and he said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. He said to them, why are you afraid? How is it that you have no faith? And they began to say to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Yep. So they, they recognize the chaos monster that's attacking them, right? They've called, on, they've called on him for help. He's asleep on the cushion. They've called on him for help. And he, the representative of Israel, the king, the divine warrior, stands up and fights against chaos. Hmm. And we, you know, I don't know what our picture of, is of this, you know, as he puts his hands up in front of the boat and says, peace, be still, peace, be still. But what it actually says is he rebukes, right? Right. Which is that word gar. That's, that's what's happening there. Um, I can't remember. You remember the, what the Greek is for that? Yeah, Epitomeo. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that rebuke, and that's the same in the Septuagint in the Greek okay. version of the old Testament, all those passages that I brought up where he's garring, where he is uh, rebuking. That's what it is. Epitomeo. Okay. Yeah. Which is very cool. And the waters, of course, go silent. You almost get the impression, right? What they've done is they've personified the waters in some way as demon monsters, as Yom. You know, they're attacking and he has to tell them to be quiet. They're they're disrupting his people. Hmm. And, and you get the impression that maybe they look up at Jesus and they're like, everyone shut up. No, did you guys know he was on the boat? We had no idea. We're, just, we're sorry. Like, just and they just silence. So it's not just personifying the wind. Hey, hush. 
like you guys are talking too loud, but it makes more sense to say, no, this is in this context of this Catholic deity battle against the forces of nature that are actually controlled by these deities. Yeah. So in Mark 1, Jesus has an encounter with a man from the synagogue who was unclean, had an unclean spirit, Mark 1, verse 23. And he cried out, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come here to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, and that's that same word, epitamao, and he said, be quiet and come out of him. So he speaks to the wind and the waves the same way he speaks to this demonic spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you're seeing these chthonic attacks and he's dealing with them. And I wouldn't say he speaks to them. Like be quiet seems so tame. Yeah. If you're thinking about what, how God spoke in the old right. Testament to these, right? He got R remember that's like he breathed fire out. Mm. So if I were to picture Jesus standing in the boat or standing next to this person saying, rebuking, then I would, I'd picture like, shut the heck up. Like <laughs> there's, it's a violent act almost. I don't mean to make it violent in that sense, but it's attacking the demons. Right. Attacking with speech. Demons. With speech. With speech. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And they're immediately, they do what they're told, of course. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, in Mark 4, it closes with, they have little faith, which is, again, the same thing that happens in the Psalm 18 passage, where mm. David and Yahweh begin to work together to fight the battles. And that's what Jesus is hoping for his, his little posse, for his group, his faith people, his new Israel, that they will fight with him. They should have had the faith to do this on their own. And that's what we're hoping, right? They should have recognized who was in the boat with them. Mm -hmm. And of course, Mark is saying, they're starting to recognize it. Like, mm -hmm. there's something. Who is this that even the winds and the waves, even the chaos monsters obey him? You think maybe they're going... We know our Old Testament. Right? They wouldn't have called it Old Testament, but we know our Bible. Right. We know the scrolls. Right? So, so we talked about this this last week in our uh, or two weeks ago in our podcast, and it was when Jesus feeds the multitudes. He says, "You give them something to eat," and they're like, "Well, where are we going to get the food?" And they, the answer, they should have known that Jesus was the source of bread. Yeah. And then after Mark eight, when he feeds the four thousand, the next story is the healing of a blind man. But he heals the blind man in stages. Do you see everything? And he's like, yeah. well, I see people, but they look like trees. Yep. And then he touches them again. Do you see everything? Okay, yeah, now I see clearly. And that illustrates the disciples are coming to this knowledge of who Jesus is, but slowly, okay, you're the Christ. Yeah, and I'm going to suffer. Oh, let me rebuke you. No, no, no. You understand that I'm the Christ, but you don't understand that the Christ has to suffer. So let me explain. And there's this stages there. So. Yeah, and that's that's the beauty, I think, mainly of Mark, right? Because you're... You're getting to that halfway point in Mark mm -hmm. where he's going to say, do you know who I am, right? Who right. do you say that I am? And so I think so many people miss that. So I'm really glad that you brought that up that, you know, it's not that Jesus was somehow less powerful to heal this blind man. This was done right. specifically as, a, you know, to make his point. I'm going to make sure you get it. Yeah. But it, yeah because right before that, Jesus fed the multitudes and then. The disciples are like, okay, we don't understand what just happened. And so Jesus says, do you not yet see or understand? Yeah. And then he asked the blind man, do you yet, do you see? And so you can tell the story of the blind man is related to the disciples and they're coming to understand who Jesus is and they're not quite getting it, but, oh, so when you picked up the 12, the, ba the basket, how many, how many baskets did you, oh, 12. Okay. How about the other time? Oh, seven. Okay. Do you get it yet? Do you not yet see? And then the very next story is this man who's blind. Do you, do you see? So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. So it's fun for us. I don't know about the listeners. So in the last episode, or two weeks ago, when Vinny and I were talking, I said, look, I don't know about you guys, but I'm gonna have a lot of fun. We talked about the, the feeding stories and how they're sandwiched with the story in chapter seven and why there's 12 baskets and seven baskets and do you not yet understand and what's going on there. And I'm like, I'm having fun. So, so this is good for us. So again, thank you for letting me have this podcast so I can have fun once a week. Well, and I'll even jump in from a different perspective because yeah. like tonight's topic is literally brand new to me. Mm -hmm. I, I shouldn't say literally brand new, but with, with the extent of the background of ancient Near Eastern deities, and I've just never thought about mm -hmm. how much, how saturated that culture would have been. And I've thought about it, just, but not to the effect of even something like tonight where I'm looking at like a Mark four with wait, how many times have we taught through a Mark four right. or you've heard a sermon about Mark four. And it's always like, how does God 
you know, calm the storms of your life or, you know, something, something awful in the, in the, uh, the sermon. That's what preachers do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it <laughs> preaches well. Right. Even from an exegetical standpoint, like if you're actually getting into it, realizing that, wait a minute, it's not merely controlling nature that is happening here. You know, as a modern reader, that's what I'm assuming is happening exegetically where it's like, whoa, there's this whole other thing where it's not merely, oh crap, a storm happened and that's scary. It's no, there's this whole bigger thing of, well, why do storms even happen and who's behind that? And that's the question that I had never approached in looking at something like this. All right, well, that's Mark 4. Like, we could do Mark yeah. 6 is like the other great sea story. We mm-hmm. want to talk about Yom. Yeah, that's fine. I, I can read it. So, uh, 45 at 252. So immediately, Jesus, this is right after he fed uh, the 5,000. We talked about this on our last episode, how Mark has the feedings and then the, wa- and then the water scenes coming up after that. So immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side of the, to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. There's a lot there right there, isn't there? Yeah, Um, yeah. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said, take courage. It is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight to the incident of the lows, but their heart was hardened. I, I can't this wait. That's why the New it. Testament is so good, right, Vinny? It's, the New Testament is where it's all at. It's, it's, it's the better it's, testament. That's what most people say. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely newer. We'll say that at least. Yeah, I mean, these, I mean, they're literary geniuses. So they're mm-hmm. grabbing hold of all these cool Old Testament concepts and just putting Jesus right in the middle of all of them. Even if you don't believe any of this stuff, yeah, honestly, the literature itself is just so cool. And well, even even working backwards, their hearts were hardened. Okay, uh, hello Exodus. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So okay, so it starts off. He has to separate himself from the crowd and be in prayer, which he seems to always have to do when the disciples still don't get it. Like he's constantly like, oh, geez, I got to go talk to God again because they're still not getting it. And this is Mark's big point that they're not getting it. Here they are, they're straining at the oars. Even that word is uh, like the oars are tormenting them. Mm. So there's that same word that's going to show up all throughout demon texts, right? Mm. Anytime you get a demon text, they're tormenting people. And then Jesus came to them walking on Epi on the sea. We're supposed to know immediately what Mark is doing. These literary geniuses, what they're doing. It's so cool. He's walking on the sea. Like that's the Job passage when he treads on the waves of the sea, when he makes his throne on Apsu or on the sea, when he, he's constantly saying, I'm in charge of Yom or this, these waters that are getting unruly. I'm in charge of them. But then he adds this cool thing. And I know you've got a whole bunch of other cool things, but I just, I see some of these, like it says he was about to pass them by. Right. Yeah. Which I think is the neatest thing. And I was like always wondering what in the world that is. And I think Mark is making a very specific point there. He's passing by in the same way that the transcendent God of the Old Testament passed by Moses at Sinai, right? He hit him in the cleft of the rock and passed him by. Mm, mm. Um, Same thing of Horeb for Elijah, the whirlwind and the fire and the still small voice that he passed him by. This phraseology is often used to show like God is kind of showing himself off. Mm. Like, here I am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you. In the Old Testament, I can't show you everything, but now I'm in flesh. So he was going to pass. His intention was to show himself off, mm. right? Or to pass him by, maybe. Because Isaiah 43, this is what the Lord says. He who has made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. It's this Yahweh that they know who... In Isaiah 51, made a road in the depths of the sea so that the redeemed might cross over. He's passing by or treading on the sea itself, just as Yahweh does in Job chapter 9. And I read that one, you know, treads on the waves of the sea. He's passing by because he's trying to reassure them. He's trying to show them who he is. He is the divine presence himself, right? He, this mm-hmm. is Jesus. This is Yahweh. He's, he's making an entrance. You know, like which fits because there's a, there's always 
when Mark tells these stories and he repeats those three, those three scenes on the lakes, the first one was, and end with, well, who is this? Yeah. They even the wind in the ways of And now the second one is, well, I'm going to pass you by and you're going to know who I am. Yeah. Yeah. That's and cool. he even, even says it right. Even if, that, if that's not compelling enough, the pass by thing, he says, take courage. It is yeah. I. Oh yeah, that's right. Don't be afraid. Yeah. Which I'm sure everyone knows the cool Greek phrase there, but ego a me. Right? Yeah. He says. Which is obviously the God's name that revealed himself. Well, not the name, but the, the divine nature he revealed himself to Moses with in Exodus chapter three. Yep. Yeah. I don't even know your name. Well, I am. Yeah. Yep. So he's answering the question of Mark four. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey? Mm. Don't be afraid. Take courage. Ego a me. Mm-hmm. I am. Right. And wow. who, is, who is the I am? I mean, he's, he's the one who calms the chaos. He's defeating the death, uh, defeating the death uh, monster. He's uh, slicing up the serpent. I don't know. I'm trying to be alliterative here. Slicing the serpent. He's silencing the serpent. There you go. As it's attacking and things like that. So they don't understand it. But that's what he's trying to show them slowly throughout the book of Mark. And the walking on the sea then, of course, you're saying it has the connections with the Old Testament text then? Yeah, the Job and Isaiah passages where he treads on the waves of the sea. He puts his throne on the top of the sea, right? But it's not just, again, it's not just he's walking on the water. It's he's walking on, trampling on these chthonic deities. Yeah, he's saying this this is how far you can come. No further. I'm in charge here. Sometimes Uh, you get... let me clarify this for, for those who are listening going, okay, yeah. wait a minute. You're talking about these deities as if, as if they actually exist, et cetera. All right. Well, all right. So what you have in the biblical text, and we alluded to it earlier in Genesis one is this polemic, which is an argument against something. The the gods that you used to worship in Egypt. Yeah. That one, that, that, that the greater light during the day, that greater than the fourth day, that God's supremacy over it all. Now, whether they actually exist or not, well, all right. I think you can argue from the New Testament, well, they don't actually exist. But I think what you were getting at is, well, in the Old Testament world or the ancient Near Eastern world, they at least thought they did. Right. And, and the biblical was kind of playing off of that. So Jesus is like, okay, I'm, I'm trampling on these other deities. I've already bind, bound the strong man. So, I, so this is still that world that's resonating in there. And it's showing the supremacy of Christ more than anything. Yeah. And you don't have to. Right. I mean, we have the same kinds of things. You don't have to believe in the things for all for us to all know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So even if I say the word dragon in our culture, we all know what it looks like. It looks something like that Shrek cartoon or something like smog on The Hobbit. Right. Right. But we've never seen one. They don't really exist. Pretty sure they're mythological creatures. Right. right. But we all know what it looks like. And so they're playing with the same ideas. So absolutely. I'm, that's a whole question in and of itself are we talking about a literary or an ontological is there something yeah. really there or is it just a literary thing it would be like in, in our day describing jesus as the great prince who's going to free the princess from the castle who's been, where she's been enslaved by the dragon right yeah exactly but you really think that the bible would use a disney motif <laughs> i don't know maybe disney might have stolen from the bible a few times yeah probably so possibility so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know where else you want to go with this. We can talk about apocalyptic stuff. You can talk about the demons going into the, the, the pigs. Right. I don't know right. where you want to want to head. Well, I think that I think that we're probably getting near the end anyway. So it some, summarizes it well. The battle of Christ is this waging war of demonstrating Yahweh's superiority. And Christ is this manifestation of Yahweh as well as the consummate human, right? right. You use uh, Israel language a lot, but I would say, well, we could use Israel language, but we could also just say human because son of God is the title for Adam back right. in the garden. So Christ is, is the epitome of humanity who was supposed to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And instead he allows the serpent into the garden. He, he didn't do his job. And Christ is coming now to, to do that job and to do what? what is it? to free us from this life of enslavement and to open the eyes of the blind and, and so that the minds can see and can understand to receive the truth of the gospel. Beautiful. And for what it's worth, this is the binding of, of the strong man and, and Mark four, the language of Mark, uh, Mark, Mark three, I'm sorry. The language of Mark three and the binding of the strong man is 
really close to the language of Revelation 20, which is the only place that you see this quote unquote millennium passage and Satan is bound for a thousand years. And it's like, you've, you almost have to read these two together and, and, and Revelation 20 is so that he will not deceive the nations any longer. Right. Ah, there it is. So do you not yet see, do you understand? Yeah. Yeah. Revelation 12, right? You have a sea monster defeated in Revelation 12. Is that right? He's not defeated in 12, but he's, oh. descri- he's depicted in 12 in terms of he, he comes onto the scene. Yeah, seven-headed dragon, of course, who is the devil or Satan, the ancient deceiver, the serpent of old. And right. uh, chapter 21, we find out that there's no more sea. Right. Yeah. Revelation 21, 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven, the first earth passed away and there's no longer any sea. You're like, why mention, why single the sea out? Yeah. Yeah. So the point then we started with was, the Sea of Galilee, where all these things are happening up in the region of Galilee, is a lake. And it was always called a lake throughout the entire Old Testament, through entire history, as far as we know. The first time I believe that we know that it's ever called the sea is Mark chapter one. But they're using sea intentionally then, most likely to, to draw up all this background imagery and chthonic deities and things of that nature then. Would you say that? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. when we see Jesus walking over the hill with the music, playing in the light there yeah you know what's happening right the divine warrior is is coming right and uh, we talked about this on the last episode but god splits the sky at the baptism of jesus yeah. and the only time the word schizo or he's split or divided is used in the gospel of mark is at the baptism of jesus when the father comes down and speaks and then when christ is on the cross and he splits or schizos the curtain of the temple yeah. And so, of course, it's this temple language, and that's what you're talking about as well, is God sits enthroned in his temple as the sovereign ruler of all things. And, of course, that's we won't get into it now, but that's the Genesis language of creation, that God's creating this temple. Heaven is my, is my throne and earth is my footstool. And, and then when he finishes his creating, he takes a seat in his temple and rests. And that's the seventh day of creation. So, yeah. Yeah. So we can geek out on this for a long time, but I think our listeners are probably made it home from their commute by now. And I have to listen to the rest of the rest of this later. This is uh, excellent. So, any any more que- any thoughts you have, Vinny, or any questions or comments? Yeah, I, or? I was going to say if if I'm a lay person, maybe someone who studies a little mm-hmm. bit, but you know, I'm not a scholar, and I'm I'm intrigued by what you're saying here, Jace. Where can I go to study this that might not be a journal entry or a monograph mm-hmm. or something like that? Is there anything available? Well, mm-hmm. I mean, there's some great commentaries that will discuss these kinds of things. Let me think. Uh, I know um, Michael Heiser has mm-hmm. the Unseen Realm. Mm-hmm that I found very helpful. Uh, you know, I'm not always persuaded by everything he's saying, but he's a lot smarter than me. So I probably should be. I think the answer to the question is, is no, <laughs> right. I, the answer to the question is for the average person. I think there's, there's not a lot of accessible information out there that, that's, that's relevant. And you have to work probably harder than you're ready to work to, to get what you need to get out of it. Well, then to to go along with that and being directly related to tonight, Rob, and this would be directly in your world, I believe, are there any good commentaries like on Mark that would incorporate this background information? None that I've read. Interesting. Okay. One of the things that's happening in the history of the church is we have this, we're in this era where these discoveries have been made in the last hundred plus years, or even minus years when it comes to the Dead Sea Scrolls, that are unearthing all this documentation, clay tablets, whatever else, that are that's unfolding this world that we now have access to that they didn't have before. So one of the reasons why you don't see a lot of this taught is because, well, they didn't know this 50 years ago, 75 years ago, and we're just now getting it, you know, and then it, it trickles down and how much it trickles down is always going to be a question, of course. I think a lot of the congregational ideas is let's just dumb it down as much as we can, which means you're just going to leave this kind of stuff out. And I, I think Jace hit, hit the, the nail on the head that, that I think is so great. And that is, it shows the literary genius of these authors when you get there. So we don't want this podcast to be one of those, hey, look, guys, it's way over your head. It's really cool. But guess what? If you take anything away from it, it's like, okay, God's being portrayed. Christ is being portrayed as a sovereign God of all creation who's overseeing, who's over everything and the worthy of being exalted. And secondly, the beauty of the biblical text is worthy of this rich treasure. So, yeah, a third grader can understand it in their Sunday school lessons. And also PhDs can geek out on this thing for hours and hours and hours and never, ever exhaust, exhaust its depths. But that's why we have all this 
conversation now that we didn't have a uh, hundred or 50 years ago. Yeah. And so the fear shouldn't be from the, the congregant who's hearing this is like, wait, they're, they're changing the Bible or it, mm -hmm. it, it can't, you know, we, we can't ever know what it means or anything. It's just, no, the Bible means what it means. And what we have is the Bible. <laughs> it's just, there's more that is going to uh, help unpack uh, how to read the Bible. And we can't just assume that we're infallible, that we're, we have all the information and that we are that original audience. Yeah. Like there, and, there's, there's, there's so many gaps that we need to fill in in order to understand it the same way that Mark's audience would have. Yeah. And I know the Bible project podcast not long ago made the comment about that. The Bible is meant to be read over and over and over mm -hmm. and over again. And then every time you read it, you get more out of it. And that it's absolutely the case. I mean, the numbers in the book of Revelation are clearly intentional. And unless you stop and count, like, oh, that one occurs seven times, you wouldn't have known that. Uh, and so it's clear that the author put that in there and said, okay, now keep digging in this treasure mine and keep unearthing things. And so, yeah, so some of us are just going to read and get our daily devotionals and we're going to be good. And some of us are going to study more deeply and, and it's meant for all of us. And it's just beautiful. Yeah, for sure. Like Tim Mackey calls it... Um... Uh, meditate Jewish meditation yeah, meditation literature yeah I yeah. think just is a great great terminology That's yeah, yeah. Probably you just mentioned and, and and as far as I've said for years that I think one of the most significant things you can do for your own spiritual formation is to memorize scripture yeah. and when you're memorizing scripture you're meditating on it and when you when you memorize something then you go back a year later and kind of review and you're like oh I didn't even realize it said that right because now you have this familiarity with the text that you can see things that you didn't see the first time or the first 25 times. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, the Psalms are, are a great place to go to for that. Hey, thanks a lot. This is awesome. Yeah, we're gonna have to have him on it. Like all the things that you were saying about Jace in our private conversations, Rob, like none of those are true. <laughs> like, I really liked him. He was a good guy. Well, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess, I guess sounds so. like, Rob, it sounds like we've got a book uh, a possibility here on, on the ancient Near Eastern gods and how they apply to Bark. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, well, um, as soon as I can finish up this commentary on Revelation, which I should have by next week. Thanks, Jay, seriously, for hanging out. We're going to have to have you on again. We could talk about like the theological motif in Marvel movies or something like that. So Now uh, I'm in. Yeah, let's <laughs> talk about that. Yeah, all right. Nice. All right. Well, hey, everyone, hope you enjoyed this. Come back next week, and we will launch into a, a four-week series on Matthew and uh, explore some different things there. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, this has been a blast. Rob, you have another thought? You look. Yeah, you, actually, next week we're going to have a guest. Oh, okay. Uh, Jared Swagger, and we're going to be discussing right. justice and the Global Immersion Project. And then in two weeks, we'll start up with the Gospel of Matthew. That's right. Very good. Yeah. Hey, everyone, have a great week. We will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please subscribe to and like our podcast. You can follow Rob's blog at determinedtruth.com or purchase his books on amazon.com. See you next time.